was asked to proclaim God's word to you this afternoon, um, as is summarized in our Hardwick Catechism, Lord's Day 7, on true faith. However, it wasn't that long ago that I, I preached on this Lord's Day, and I don't think I've, actually I haven't written a, a new sermon since that time on this, and wasn't really excited about what else I could um, share with you today. So I'll really be focusing on just one aspect of this matter with respect to true faith, and that is in question answer 21, we have the words, this faith, the Holy Spirit works in my heart. And so we'll be looking at this in connection with the Canons of Dort, chapter 1, articles 5 and 6. But first of all, let us turn to God's Word. And we're going to read together from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And we'll read from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through to 10. This is the Word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So let's now turn to uh, the heart of the Catechism. First of all, we will read together from Lord's Day 7, and then also... Uh, we'll be reading from the Cancer Dort. First of all, from Laws of Seven of the Heidelberg Catechism. <clears throat> Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perish through Adam? No. Only those are saved by a true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all his benefits. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. What then must a Christian believe? All that is promised us in the gospel, which the articles of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith teach us in a summary. And the question answer 23 tells us what those 12 articles are, which is the Apostles' Creed, as we just sang that together in, one, in hymn 1. Let's now turn to the Canons of Dort, which you'll find in your Book of Praise immediately after uh, the Heidelberg Catechism. Chapter 1, we'll be reading for articles 5 and six, in my book of praise, that is on page 566. <clears throat> the cause of unbelief and the source of faith. The cause or the guilt for this unbelief 
as well as for all other sins, is by no means in God, but rather in man. Faith in Jesus Christ and salvation through Him, however, is the free gift of God. As it is written, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8. Similarly, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Philippians 1 and verse 29. Article 6. That God in time confers this gift of faith on some and not on others proceeds from His eternal decree. For He knows all His works from eternity, and He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Ephesians 1 verse 11. According to this decree, He graciously softens the hearts of the elect, no matter how hard they may be, and inclines them to believe. Those not elected, however, He leaves in their own wickedness and hardness by a just judgment. And here especially is disclosed to us the profound, merciful, and at the same time just distinction between men equally worthy of condemnation or that decree of election and reprobation which has been revealed in God's Word. Although perverse, impure, and unstable men twist this decree to their own destruction, it provides unspeakable comfort for holy and God-fearing souls." congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, two of the most wonderful words in the entire Bible are those first words in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4, the words, but God. These are two of the most amazing words in the Bible because they place a contrast between what goes before this in verse 1 to 3 of chapter 2. And what comes after, verse 4 and following. Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 3, describes a person and what a person was like before he became a Christian. And it highlights not just the sin of those who are called the sons of disobedience, but also of the impossibility of such sons of disobedience to do anything in and of themselves to change. Let alone to come to faith And so be saved. But then comes verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so these words, but God, in Ephesians 2 verse 4, they are two of the most wonderful words in the entire Bible because they tell you that God did the very thing which we could not do. And the more we comprehend that, the more we are amazed at the grace of God and the more wonderful our salvation in Christ will appear. Because while unbelief comes from us, the gift of faith comes from God. And so I preach God's word to you under this theme. Unbelief comes from us, but faith comes from God. Three points. First, the cause of unbelief. Second, the source of faith. And third, the comfort in God's decree. First of all, then, the cause of unbelief. The Kenza Dort is full of teaching about the gospel, 
about the good news of our salvation in Jesus Christ. The Canons of Dort teaches us about the need for the gospel, about how God has given us all things in Jesus Christ and how our salvation in Christ is assured. As such, the Canons are not only biblical, but the teaching in it is both practical and also pastoral. And at the same time, the Canons are also very deep and they deal with some very challenging questions. And one of the more challenging questions has to do with how it is that some people believe the gospel and some people don't. During the 1600s, the time which the Kansas Dort were written, and indeed even today, people insisted that the reason why some people believe and others don't is simply because of them. One person is better, more worthy than the other, in the sense that he or she, of their own ability, chooses to believe. Whereas the other one doesn't. The problem, however, is that the Bible clearly teaches us something different. The Bible teaches us that by nature, all of us, without exception, are sinners deserving of eternal condemnation. By nature, we are sinners because we share in the sins of Adam. This is what we've been learning about in the Catechism, Lord says 2, 3 and 4. Romans 5, verse 12. Sin came to the world through one man. Death through sin. Death spread to all men because all men sinned. And the letters to the Ephesians. It spells this out. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's not just talking about a select number of people were dead. When he speaks about you, yes, he's writing to the church of Ephesus. And in that sense, he's recognized that all were dead in trespasses and sins. Reading on, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here is that there's no difference between these Ephesians who became Christians and the rest of mankind. There's nothing about us that makes us better than others. We've all sinned. Every one of us. Every single man. Every single woman. Every single child. Every single person who's come into this world with the exception, of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are all by nature dead in transgressions and sin. We are all by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And by nature, being children of wrath, we would have suffered eternally under God's condemnation. But then comes God. You see, this is what the gospel is all about. It doesn't leave us there. It's not like we should be leaving church with that sort of message and that's it. But instead we have this in Ephesians 2 verse 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians 2 verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And how is it we've been made alive together with Christ? 
chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. But now we're faced with a question. Because while all have sinned and share in the condemnation of Adam, not all people are saved and share in the righteousness of Christ. And why not? Because only those who believe are saved. This is what we learned in a heart of a catechism, Lord says 7. Are all men then saved by Christ just as they perish through Adam? And the answer is no. Only those are saved by a true faith are granted to Christ and accept all his benefits. But that does raise the question. But then why do some people believe and others don't? Is this God's fault? Or does the fault lie with man? Well, the Bible is clear on that question. The fact that some people do not believe cannot be the fault of God. 1 John 1 verse 5, This is the message we've heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. So to say it's God's fault that someone doesn't believe, it doesn't match who God is with who God is. He cannot be the cause of evil. And therefore unbelief does not and cannot come from God, nor can anyone ever say that God is the reason for their unbelief. To the contrary, and to use another Bible verse then, John, John chapter 3, verse 17, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Our God is a God who saves. Unbelief is not and cannot be the fault of God. It is, however, the fault of man. And the Bible is also very clear on that. The book of Isaiah, for example, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 8 it says concerning God's people Israel, for they are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. It wasn't God's fault, it was Israel's fault that they'd gone in, into sin and refused to trust the Lord. And Isaiah 30 verse 15, For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall you be your strength, but you were unwilling. It was Israel. Not God who is responsible for the unbelief and for the rejection of God and of God's promises. And the same thing can be found in the New Testament. John 3, verse 19. Jesus says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The light was Christ came, but the people preferred the darkness. In John 5, 39 and 40, the Lord Jesus said, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. But you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so the Bible is clear. Unbelief is not the fault of God. Unbelief is the fault of man. But now, having made that clear, we are still left with another question. If the cause of unbelief lies in man, what about the source of faith? Does faith then come from us, or does faith come from God? That brings us to a second point, the source of faith. 
So now we get to something we have to get our heads around. Here's the question. If unbelief is clearly the fault of man, does that man mean that faith is also the work of man? Does the source of faith lie in us, ourselves? You see, this is what those Arminians were teaching back in the 1600s. And on the one level, it makes sense. If unbelief's our fault, faith must be our credit. The Bible, however, teaches us something else. The Bible teaches us that faith is the gift of God. He is the one who works this faith in us. Even more, the Bible teaches us that faith has to be the gift of God because if it was up to you and me, we could never believe. Faith would never happen. You see, See, this is the thing. The Arminians were speaking as if, as if people were in some sort of a neutral state. They spoke as if we're free, we're independent people. We're fully capable of our own free will to choose to believe or else to choose to reject the word that's preached. But it's not the way it is. We are not autonomous beings like that. By nature, we are not in some sort of a neutral state. But by nature, what does the Scriptures teach us? By nature, we are children of wrath and dead in our sins. And therefore, by nature, we could never choose to believe in God of our own free will, apart from the Spirit of God. Consider these Bible verses. Romans 3, 10, and 10 through to 12. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. John 6 verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3. If you want to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God, sorry, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You see, the point of these Bible verses is that in and of themselves, in and of ourselves, we are not able to come to Christ. We are not able to believe. Why? Because as we read in Ephesians 2, verse 1, by nature we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And no dead person can will himself to become alive. No person who is by nature a child of wrath, like the rest of mankind, can believe in God unless that person is first born again, made alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. As Article 6 of the Canon says, it is God who graciously softens the heart of the elect, no matter how hard they may be, and it is God who inclines them to believe. And also from the Bible, Philippians 2 verse 13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And it's with that understanding that we read the verses quoted in chapter 1, article 5, the cancer door, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And Philippians 1 verse 29, For it has been granted to you 
for the sake of Christ, that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Granted to you. And so where does faith come from? It comes from God. Specifically, as our Lord 7 says, this faith, the Holy Spirit, works in our heart. And it has to come from God. Because if God wasn't the one who gave us faith, not one of us could come and believe. And this is why the canons also say in chapter 1, article 5, the cause or guilt for this unbelief, as well as for all other sins, is by no means in God, but rather in man. Faith in Jesus Christ and salvation through him, however, is the free gift of God. But if that's true, then we also need to conclude that whereas God freely gives the gift of faith to some, he does not give that faith to all. That's a hard thing for us to understand. According to his own sovereign will, he's he's king, he's in control, God works faith in the hearts of some, but not in everybody. That's a hard thing for us to understand. But it's what the Bible teaches. Romans 9 verse 18 says that God has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens the heart of whomever he wills. Matthew 13 verse 11, the Lord Jesus says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. In Matthew chapter 11, 25 and 26, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So then, to summarize what we've learned. Although God created us perfectly good, we've all sinned in Adam, so that by nature we are corrupt, by nature we are sinners, by nature we deserve to be condemned. But God, in His grace gave us his son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God gives you that faith in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And if you refuse to believe in the saving work of Christ, that's not God's fault, that's yours. Because it was by your own willful disobedience that we ended up in sin in the first place. But if upon hearing the gospel we believe... That is not our doing. That is the gift of God. He did not have to lift us up out of that pit of condemnation that we had plunged ourselves into. But where he has done that, that's his grace and his choice. That means that if we believe, we can never boast as if we were better than others. And we could never be arrogant when we compare ourselves to others. But rather, all we can do is acknowledge the goodness and the grace of God, that He's the one who changed our hearts so that we might believe. And that gives us joy. That gives us comfort. And that brings us then also to our third point, the comfort in God's decree. 
Article 6 of the Canons, it speaks about God's eternal decree and how from eternity he decided to give the gift of faith to some, but leave others in their wickedness and in the hardness of heart. The Canons are very careful in how they word this teaching. I'd just like to read then again uh, Article 6, just so that we can see just how, how this is all worded. <coughs> God's eternal decree. That God in time confers the gift of faith on some and not on others proceeds from his eternal decree. For he knows all his works from eternity, and he works all things according to the counsel of his will. According to this decree, he graciously softens the hearts of the elect, no matter how hard they may be, and inclines them to believe. Those not elected, however, he leaves in their own wickedness and hardness by a just judgment. And here especially is disclosed to us the profound, merciful, and at the same time just distinction between men equally worthy of condemnation or that decree of election and reprobation which has been revealed in God's word. Although perverse, impure, and unstable men twist this decree to their own destruction, it provides unspeakable comfort for holy and God-fearing souls. Now, I'd like you to think about those last words there. Yes, this is difficult, and yes, people twist it. But when we've begun to understand that my faith is not my work and my doing, but it is God who from eternity chose me and worked that faith in me in time through His Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel, that gives to me unspeakable comfort. Chapter 1, Article 14, points out that we, what we're learning here with respect to the doctrine of election is particularly intended for the church of God and is for our comfort. We're not learning these things so we can go around labeling people uh, your elect and your reprobate. We're not learning about these things so that we can anxiously and unhelpfully pry into the secret counsel the will of God concerning ourselves or, or even our children in this way. But rather we are learning these things because they are of comfort to us. And the reason why this teaching comforts us is because when we truly begin to grasp just how far we've fallen into sin, when we begin to grasp just how dead we were by nature in sin, and when we begin to recognize just how we could never even begin to help save ourselves, then we begin to stand amazed at the grace of God. Then we stand in awe of the God and at what God did when He did that which we could never do. <coughs> then we see the gospel, the beautiful good news in those words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. <coughs> Excuse me. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages... He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace 
in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, this is what gives us comfort. This is what makes us so amazed that though we were dead, but God made us alive. We have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And if the counsel of his will is to make us who were dead alive, and if the counsel of his will is to show us the immeasurable riches of his grace, surely he will do it. And that gives us comfort. That gives us assurance. You see, the assurance of your salvation does not lie in your ability or your willingness to choose. And, then, and it's not as though your salvation is only going to last for as long as you are going to hold on to the hand of Christ. But the assurance of your salvation lies in His determination to choose and to hold on to you. And see, this is the beauty And this is the wonder, and this is the comfort in God's decree of election. And that is the beauty, and that is the wonder, and that is the comfort in those two words, but God. Because it is God who has done it, and he has done it for us. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>